Great to see everyone. Um, you know, I had a, a buddy that was leaving the, the nine o'clock and he grabbed me and he said, hey, I really like that sweater. Kind of looks like the cat in the hat. I, I don't know what to do with that right now. I'm suddenly really insecure about my sweater. So I've just, I've just got to throw it, throw it out there so that I can breathe and move on. So if you're thinking cat in the hat, uh, I might try to get a hat next time. There's an interesting phenomena out there that people have observed and people are trying to understand why this is. And, and we're kind of a dog town. So some of you might actually kind of get this or understand this. People that have pets and specifically dogs, sometimes they actually choose dogs that actually look like them and they be, start to look more and more like their dogs. Have you ever noticed that before? Let's look at some of these pictures. Wow. I like that guy. That might be my favorite right there. Same, same, right there. But it's not just pets. Sometimes people have noticed that actually as couples age, they start to look more and more like each other as well. Take a look at a couple of these. Very smiley, right there. Not, not so smiley, right there. Oh, that's just awesome. And younger couples as well, kind of look like each other. See the resemblance there? The many faces of Brad Pitt. Okay, you may not even buy it. Maybe people don't necessarily always look like their pets or grow, look like each other as they grow older. But here's a principle that we're going to talk about today that I do believe to be true. We become like what we love. We actually become like the things and the people that we love. And that's what we've been talking about here in this series around our mission statement. And our mission statement is simply, we lead people to radical love in action like Jesus. And when we say like Jesus, what we're saying is that we want to become like him. As we follow him and as we fall more in love with him, we want to actually become like him because he's what we love. And Chris mentioned it this last week, his sermon last week and the next couple. We're talking about the topic of generosity. The life of Jesus looked through the lens of generosity. And was there ever a more generous life than Jesus? And Jesus has a lot to say to us. A lot of things that he wants us to know and to understand about generosity. It matters to him how we handle the things in this life that have been entrusted to us. Our money, our time, our energy. But here's what I know to be true, is that when we sit in environments like this, and even though this idea of generosity is a discipleship issue, when we sit in rooms like this, it can, whoop, defenses can go up in people's hearts and minds. And they don't talk to me about my money. That is none of your business. And sometimes people will say, the church just wants my money. And our defenses go up. I get it. I, I understand that. And I understand even some ways why that is. I think sometimes churches have not done a good job talking about resources. And how do we invest our resources? How do we trust God with our resources? And I don't know that we've always done a great job around here either. But here's what I believe to be true. Is we've got a couple of options. One option would be that because it makes me uncomfortable 
to talk about, and it makes some people out there uncomfortable to hear about, we're just not going to talk about it. We'll just ignore that topic altogether. But here's where I've landed on this. There's just way too much that God has to say about this for us to just ignore the topic completely. And I'm really bummed. I'm really sad that we actually have to start out by giving a lot of disclaimers around this topic. But I'm going to do it because it matters to me. It matters to me that we can create an environment here where those defenses would go down. Because what I think needs to happen more than anything else is that people would just be able to hear the voice of Jesus in the scriptures and allow his spirit that lives within every follower of Jesus to speak to their heart about what it would be that God would want to say to them about this. So here's my first disclaimer. I want to make it absolutely clear that Journey is not in a budget crisis. This is not reactionary to anything that's going on. This has been on the docket for months talking about this coming up. We're doing well financially and we're doing a great job of managing all the generosity that comes to us. Secondly, I want you to know that I have absolutely no idea how much anybody in this church gives, except for me and my family. I don't need to know. I don't have to know. It's not helpful for me to know. So there's no awkward. Don't think that I'm looking at you when we're talking about this. I have no idea how much anybody gives. And here's my deepest desire is that we would create a space here that I would call a guilt-free zone, a shame-free zone, a manipulation-free zone, a pressure-free zone, Because this is what I know to be true. God does not want or need to leverage guilt and shame in your life. He doesn't want to. He doesn't need to. And actually, those are some of the worst motivators to actually change our behavior is guilt and shame. God doesn't need to do that, and he doesn't invite us to that. And if we get to that place where we're responding to guilt and shame, I think it will actually keep us from engaging with God the conversation that he would want to have with us about our generosity. And I'm going to say it another way. And if you haven't heard me so far, I want to make sure that you hear this. God does not want your money. God does not need your money. God does not have a cash flow problem in heaven that he's just hoping that we'll figure out how to solve for him. That is not what he wants you know what he does want? He wants you. He wants you. He wants all of you. He wants what the Bible calls your heart. He wants your heart to be fully his. And as we step into this topic of talking about generosity, what Jesus is going to tell us, what he knows is that our heart is connected to our money. There is a strong connection between our heart and our money. So this is our goal for the next two weeks as we talk about this. What our goal is, is to start a conversation with you and God about your heart. This is not a conversation that's happening between you and me. This is not a conversation between you and Journey. This is a conversation between you and God. What does God want to tell me about my heart? And there's a couple of tools that I'm hoping that you will use over the next couple of weeks. And the first one is this. This is a a heart thermometer. What I'm hoping that you'll do is you'll just hold this up to your heart and your life and you'll just ask God honestly, what is the temperature of my heart toward generosity, toward using the resources that you've entrusted me 
to build kingdom things here on this earth. God, what, show me. God, what is the state of my heart? But then I want you to use another tool as well. And that tool is this. This is just a simple thermostat. That we would take our temperature, but in faith we would hold the thermostat up to God and we would say, God, is there anything that you want to do in my life and in the life of my family and the life of people that are close to me to turn up the temperature of the generosity in my life? I want you to have those two tools in mind as you think about everything that we're gonna talk about today and next week. But I'm gonna say it again because I don't want you to miss this. God does not want your money. God does not need your money. He wants you. He wants all of you. He wants what the Bible calls your heart. But here's what Jesus taught about in terms of what is the connection between our heart and our money and our resources. The text that we're going to look at comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, probably one of the most famous sermons that he gave. And he's talking about the interior life of a disciple. He's talking about the heart in this sermon. But as that heart gets transformed and that heart gets changed to where what the heart sees is the kingdom and what the heart values is the kingdom of God, there's behavioral changes that start to happen in our life. And not just us as individuals, but us as a group, us as a spiritual family starts to change. Here's what Jesus said about generosity in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. He says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, he says, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And here's his punchline of that first section. Wherever your treasure is, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also, will also be. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus makes it pretty clear. There's a couple of different treasures that we can invest in. And at first he starts to talk about, don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth. What is he talking about when he's talking about treasures on earth? I think that there's a spectrum of things that he could be talking about. It's the things of this earth that we try to accumulate to ourselves because they think they're going to bring satisfaction to our life. I think there's a material side to that. There's money, of course. There's possessions. There's things like that. But there's also immaterial things that we can value and try to accumulate for ourselves. Things like power. Things like sex. Things like pleasure. Things like our reputation, things like our appearance, things like our health. You notice what Jesus says. He doesn't say that these things are bad. There is nothing inherently wrong with any of those things that I mentioned. They are not bad. But what he says is don't treasure them. Don't try to store them up. Because here's the thing that is common to every one of those things that I just read to you. They can all be taken away. They're fragile. They're fleeting. They're not secure. All of those things, just the simple circumstances of life and the evil in this world can bring about things that would remove those things from our life in an instant. 
And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You had money and then it was gone. You had health and then it was gone. These things can be taken away. And what Jesus is saying is don't invest your life in these things that are fleeting. But he said on the flip side, store up for yourself treasure, treasure in heaven. Treasure something different. And here's what I think gets us a little bit confused when we start to talk about treasure in heaven. Because people are like, well, what exactly is that? And I think what gets us a little bit confused is when we hear the word heaven, we think of this place that we're going to go when we die. That is what heaven is about. That is partly what Jesus is talking about here. But the Jewish mind would have a much more robust view of what Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about heaven. It'd be talking about the kingdom, be talking about God's rule and reign in this world. And what Jesus is trying to say is God's rule and reign is being made manifest in this world. What God is doing is in heaven, he is bringing to this earth. And if we go just a little bit before this section that we're reading here, when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he said, I want you to pray that heaven would come to earth. How did he say it? Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. He said, thy kingdom, your kingdom, God, thy kingdom come, your will be done right here on earth, just like it is in heaven. What Jesus is saying is bring heaven to earth. Things that are going to last forever, bring those to earth. Things that aren't fading away, bring those to earth. Treasure those things. Well, what are those things? What are the things that are going to last forever? What I'm really thankful for is that God didn't have in mind a list of a hundred things that we need to keep our mind on that are going to last forever. What the Bible teaches about what's going to last forever is actually quite small. The Bible says that God is going to last forever. The Bible says that his word is going to last forever. And the third thing that God says is going to last forever is people. God, his word, and people are going to last forever. So if you want to store up treasure in heaven, invest in those things God, his word, and people. Every person is going to live forever. They're either going to live forever with God or separated from God. And so Jesus would say, invest in your relationship with me. And because people matter so much to me because they're going to last forever, devote yourselves to the good of other people. All people. Every person, every person that you've ever laid eyes on, invest your life in them. Look for opportunities to invest in people. That's what Jesus is talking about. We can invest in these things that are fleeting or we can invest in things that are going to last forever. There's two treasures. How do we know? How do we know which treasure that we're actually investing in? Jesus makes it really simple in this text of scripture. He says, follow the money. Just simply follow the money. You'll know what you're treasuring by where your resource goes. Where is it in your life that it's just, it's easy for your money to move toward those things? What Jesus is saying is that's where your heart is. That's what you value. Verse 21, he said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of our heart will be also. You can find it out pretty quickly. 
Just look at your checkbook. Look at your credit card statement. Look at your budget. Where does our money flow? What are the things that we value? And Jesus is saying there's a connection between our heart, what we value, and how we use our resources. Had a chance to visit with a friend of mine this week, and recently she had the opportunity to go to a third world country and invest in orphans there. Uh, An amazing time for her. One of the things you need to know about her is she is incredibly blonde, very, very blonde, and she has very, very long and very, very fake eyelashes. And this was just a fascination to the kids that were there with her. They would come up to her and they would want to touch her eyelashes. And they had kind of broken English and they would try to touch her eyelashes. And I love what they would say, artificial? And she's like, yep, yep, they're artificial. It was just kind of a fun way that she engaged with the kids. But she said, I got home and she said, I'd find myself looking in the mirror and looking at my artificial eyelashes And she said, realistically, I spend more than $100 a month maintaining these fake eyelashes. And I'm not trying to make a comment on fake eyelashes whatsoever, but this is what went on in her heart. She just said, what could I do with those resources? What could that $100 a month do for those kids in this third world country? And she said, I am not gonna do false eyelashes anymore. I want to invest in these kids. Do you see what happened there? No guilt, no shame. She was just saying, there's something that I love now more than eyelashes. There's something that I value now more than eyelashes. And I want my money to go there. Money follows our heart, the things that we love. But you know what? We don't always see the world clearly. Sometimes I think it's possible for us to not see the magnitude of what God is doing here in this earth. We can actually be blinded to what it is that God is doing here on earth and miss the opportunity and our eyes need to be opened so that we can see the kingdom of heaven and value it more than the kingdom of earth, the stuff of earth. And so that's why Jesus, as he continues in this text of scripture, he talks about the reality that we can be blinded. Matthew 6, verses 22, he says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. If the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Jesus is talking about the reality that it's possible for us to be blinded, blinded by the things of this earth. There's an adjective that Jesus uses there to describe the eye. And then the Jewish mind, the eye, the eye and the heart are connected. You could almost think of eyesight as heart sight. The things that our eyes see come in and they move our heart and they change us to action. That would be what Jesus would know that his audience would understand. But he talks about what kind of an eye do we need to have? And it's interesting, different translations use different words to describe this adjective. Some say healthy, some say good, some say a generous eye, some say a single eye, meaning like a single focused eye. And what you start to see over time is when, in translations, when there's not just one word that fits, it's because the word is carrying too much freight for it to just be captured 
by one English word. And that's the case here. Jesus is talking about a good eye that is a generous eye, that's willing to let go of resources and move them toward the things of the kingdom. And he's also talking about a single focused eye, an eye that's not looking around at everything in the world, but it has its eye focused on the things that matter, the things that are going to last forever. But here's the problem. It is really easy to lose focus. I think the the whole idea of, of wealth and what Jesus calls at different times the deceitfulness of wealth. He said, watch out for that. It is so deceiving. It'll trip you up. That sometimes I think it's difficult for us to even see exactly where we're at as it relates to how we use our resources. It's interesting, I I won't ask for a show of hands, but I would bet if I ask this question, how many people in this room are greedy? I would bet very few people would raise their hands. And if I ask this question, how many people in this room are rich? I think very few people would raise their hands. Wealth is deceptive, greed is deceptive. We, we just don't know always where we're at with those things. And it's so easy for us to lose our focus. We can have our focus on what matters most at one minute, and then the next minute, we completely lose what we're focused on. As I was writing this, I was thinking about an interaction that I had with some friends of mine probably a decade ago. And we were on a backpacking trip, and as we were loading up and we were in the car and we were driving out to where we were going to go, there was a conversation that we started to have. It was more that they were having, but it was a conversation about real estate and real estate investments and things that they were involved in. Here's what, here's what happened to me sitting in that vehicle. I started to just think about, I don't, I don't have any real estate investments. I mean, all, all I'm trying to do is just make my house payment every month. That's my real estate investment. And there was something that started to go on inside of me that I just thought, I'm behind. I'm behind in life. And here's what the next hours entailed for me as we're on this hike. I'm just thinking, I gotta quit my job. I've gotta get a different job. I gotta figure out how to get out of ministry and get into something else so that I'm not behind in this world. And I just saw what was going on inside of me total change of values for me. And as I started to to think about it, this jealousy started to to well up in me. And it just felt gross. I started to talk with the Lord about it. And then he did something, and I hate it when he does this. He just said, you need to confess that to your friends. No. I don't want to tell people about the junk that goes on in my life. I don't want to show my heart this jealous heart but I'm really glad that I did. As I sat with one of my friends and I just said, hey, I just gotta be honest with you. This is what was going on in my heart and life. This, I, I just I felt so jealous after that, that conversation. I just wanted to apologize for even having those thoughts in my heart around that. This is what my friend said to me. He looked me right in the eye and he said, I know what you get to do. He said, I hear the stories. You get to sit in the front row and watch God change people's lives every day. He said, I would give everything I own to be a part of one of those stories. And I just sat there and I thought, wow. As I look back now, that's someone that's got a good eye, 
a generous eye. A health. He was someone that was willing to take all that he had. He was leveraging it toward things that matter. He had a good eye. I had a bad eye. I wanted to completely change my whole direction of my life in a matter of a few hours because I felt behind in life. It's easy for us to be blinded. So easy for us to be blinded. Jesus talks about two treasures. Treasure on earth, treasure in heaven. Talks about two kinds of eyes. A good eye, a healthy eye, a generous eye, a single-minded eye. And he talks about a bad eye or a stingy eye or a multiple focus or a duplicitous eye. And lastly, Jesus talks about two masters. Two masters. That's it. Here's what Jesus said, verse 24. No one, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. As I studied through this, the words that just kept jumping off the page to me were, no one can. No one can do this. And you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot do it. Because in my mind sometimes I just think it's like a balancing act. I just got to keep it balanced one way or another. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not how it works. You can't do it. You can't have two perspectives in your life, two things that are the ultimate orientation of your life. You're going to choose one or you're going to choose the other. One is going to serve the other. You can't do both. It's one of those two that we're going to think about and work hard all day long and then dream about at night. One of those two. You cannot do both. And I know what goes on in us. We just think, I could be the exception. Jesus, a lot of other people, they couldn't do it, but I can do it. I can figure out how to do it. But you can't have two ultimate goals, two ultimate reference points in your life. So I was thinking about this. I was thinking about what it's like to, to drive with my wife in the car. When we're going down the road and I've got my eyes set on the road and we're going, if I say at any point while we're driving, hey, Carmen, look at that over there. I have just assured that she will not look over there because what she knows is my eyes are over there and she's saying, I'm gonna keep my eyes on the road because I don't know where this car is gonna go if he's looking over there. So I've gotta look back at the road, convince her that I'm looking at the road and then invite her to look at what's happening over there. But this is what she knows. Our eyes, they just follow what we look at. You know, we can have this orientation, but if our eyes go over here, our car just moves there. We can have this orientation at one minute. We can have this master at one minute. But we start to look to the side and our life just drifts. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. And I love how Dallas Willard said it. He says it's our treasure that focuses our heart. It's where we decide and make hard decisions. This is where I'm going to put my treasure this is gonna, where I'm going to put my hard-earned resources. He said, that's what focuses our heart. And when I look at how this was lived out in the scriptures, 
it's really, really challenging to me. And it actually makes me really uncomfortable at times. When I see the people that began to follow Jesus that really got it, they really saw Jesus, they really loved Jesus, they really moved toward the things of the kingdom, their lives changed radically. Chris talked about it last week, Zacchaeus, who comes down out of the tree. Jesus comes to his house. What is his response? This wealthy tax collector, the chief of all tax collectors. What is his response to Jesus? Cuts it right down the middle, takes half of his wealth and says, I'm gonna give it to the poor. Right off the top, his first giving opportunity, half of his wealth. I think about that woman that anointed Jesus' feet at Bethany. She took a vase, an alabaster jar of perfume, pure nard, a year's worth of salary, probably everything she owned in the world, likely her inheritance, likely her dowry. And she breaks it open at the feet of Jesus and dumps it out on him, pours it out for him, extravagant generosity. I think about that widow that shows up to her giving opportunity and she just has a couple of little coins to give. She puts it in. Not a lot, but it was everything she had. Look at the pictures of the New Testament church. As the church was growing and the apostles were spreading the gospel and the gospel was taking Rome by storm. It said that Regularly, people would sell their houses. They would sell their land and they would just bring the money to the feet of the apostles and the apostles would distribute it to everybody that had need. If you had a need, we're gonna figure out how to meet your need. And the world couldn't figure out what is going on there. Powerful explosions of generosity. And this is what I come away with and what is really challenging for me when I really get it, when I really get it and I really see it, when I have the eyes to see the way Jesus wants me to see, it's not gonna mean just a little tweak in my life, a tiny little adjustment. There's radical change. One of the most convicting things I read in preparation for this was Tim Keller made the comment. He said, if our generosity has no effect on our lifestyle whatsoever, he said, it's not the kind of generosity that Jesus talks about in the Bible. That makes me uncomfortable. That is a challenge to me. But you know what? I want to be like him. I want to be generous the way that Jesus was generous. Because we are like that which we love. Now, if I have an agenda for today... I'm gonna tip my hand and I'm gonna tell you exactly what it is right now. The agenda is I want you to have a conversation. I don't want you to have a conversation with me. I don't want you to have a conversation with Journey. I want you to have a conversation with God. I want you to hold your heart up to him and let God show you the temperature of your heart. God, where is my heart as it relates to generosity? And I want you to hold up your heart and hand God the thermostat and just say, God, is there a way that you would want me to take a step of faith? Is there a way that you'd want to challenge me and grow me in my generosity? 
And I said it before and I'm gonna say it again. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. He wants you. And he wants to do something in you. But he knows that the way to our heart for many of us is through our resources. How are we gonna respond to him? And you, John mentioned this. You might have seen this on the chair when you came in. What this is, is this is just a simple conversation tool. What we want you to do is we don't think this is a quick conversation to have. If it's gonna mean, God, we, we want to follow you in generosity and it might be more than just a little tweak right now, we think that's a conversation that you need to have over a period of time. We want you to think about that over the next couple of weeks. Pull together people that you love, people that care about you, people that you'd love to talk with about this. If you're married, have this conversation with your spouse. Talk about what does generosity look like for us? If you have a family, bring the whole family in because generosity will affect your whole family. Allow your kids to see what generosity looks like for your family. This is just a simple Bible study with some reflective questions on it. Nothing magical, but it's a conversation that we feel like we need to have. But it's not with us, it's with you and God. And I'm gonna say this again as well. I know that every situation out there is unique. How we land in the financial situations that we're in, it, there's a different story for every person out there. And I get that. This is not a guilt conversation. This is not a shame conversation. Jesus doesn't wanna leverage that in our life. The conversation that he wants to have with you is about love. He wants love to be the thing that motivates you to do the things that you do for him, not guilt, not shame, not manipulation, not pressure. You know how I know this? It's because this is what Jesus modeled for us. Friends, Jesus had everything. He had the wealth of heaven. He had the comfort of heaven. He had the prestige of heaven. And this is what he chose to do. He said, I'm gonna set it aside. I'm going to set all of that treasure aside and I'm going to come to earth. I'm going to come as a man and I'm not going to come as a wealthy and powerful man. I'm going to come as a poor man who doesn't even have a place to lay his head. I'm laying all that treasure aside and you know why? Because there's another treasure that I value more than any of that. You know what that treasure is, friends? treasures us. Jesus did that for us. Has there ever been a more generous thing than what Jesus did? He was willing to set treasure aside because he treasured you. I love how John says it in 1 John four nineteen. He says, we love, why? We love, we love God, we love people, we care for people, why? Because we're smart, we're really godly and we figured it out. We're great people. No, he says, we love because he first loved us. We treasure, we treasure God and we treasure people because he first treasured us. Friends, I want to be the, the motivator for all of us to be that we just want to be like him. We want to become like the one we love. I want to ask you to set your things aside and just go to prayer with God. And I just want to ask him, I want you to ask him just in this moment, God, is there anything that you would want me to do? Is there a response that you would want me to take? What are you saying to me?
Jesus, I just want to say thank you. Thank you that you showed us the way. You showed us the way of generosity. To set treasures aside in order to treasure something that's going to last forever. Jesus, thank you that when you came to this earth, you didn't just lay aside the treasures of heaven. You laid aside your own life. You gave your life for us. The magnitude of your generosity, Jesus, it's just astounding. Sometimes it just seems crazy to say that we want to be like you because it just seems so far away. But Jesus, you empower us by your spirit to be transformed and to become like you. And so Jesus, we just throw our arms wide open today and say, make us like you. Give us the kind of generosity that you had. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.